Well, good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be back with you here again on YouTube and Facebook. For those of you who are not able to join us here on Sunday mornings, we're really glad to have you uh, here on this space on Sunday mornings instead. As you know, we are meeting live and in person now on Sunday mornings for the next few weeks at 10 a.m. and 11.15 with social distancing and masks and hand sanitizer and all those sorts of precautions. But we know that many of you are at a distance and some of you are not yet ready to come back to in-person services. So we are really grateful to be able to gather in this space to worship together, to read scripture together, and to encourage each other. Today, I'm excited because we are beginning a new teaching series here at the Oceanside Sanctuary called The Spirit of Liberation. One of the things that I think we often shy away from in churches like ours is what it means to be spiritual. Sometimes we see the excesses and abuses in other churches and other traditions where they have embraced a spirituality that sometimes just seems like it's not entirely healthy. And so in churches like ours, we sometimes can avoid those sorts of topics. But what I want us to do, especially as we finish out this calendar year and as we're coming out of the pandemic, is I would like us to lean into what it might mean for us to have genuinely spiritual lives, full of a sense of the presence of God in our lives, full of a sense of the reality of a divine mystery at work in our world, and begin to maybe wrap our brains and our hearts and our lives around what it might look like for us to cultivate that kind of spirituality here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. So today, we're going to launch that. We're going to go through the book of Acts for six weeks. I'm going to visit six passages in the book of Acts, and we're going to take a look at what the Holy Spirit is doing in the book of Acts and what we can learn from that for our lives today. Before we jump in, as always, I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's just quiet ourselves and center our hearts and our minds as we come before this passage in the book of Acts. Would you join with me? Spirit of God, we come before you in this space and it is our prayer, God, that you would invade our lives with a sense of your goodness, a sense of your divine energy, a sense that you are leading us into new and good paths, not only for our lives individually, but also for the lives of those that we love and live with, those that we work and play with, those that we live in the same neighborhood alongside. We ask God that you would teach us what it means to chase after a spirituality that is truly good for all people. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, we're going to be visiting the book of Acts for the next six weeks. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter 2. Last week, actually, was Pentecost. And we were wrapping up our series on the book of Psalms. And so we didn't celebrate Pentecost the way that sometimes more liturgical churches do. So we're going to start our series in Pentecost this week. So we're a week late, a week behind for those of you maybe 
are more familiar with liturgical settings. Uh, but that's okay, because in our church, we're not necessarily following those rules hard and fast. But if you'll open your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 2, we're going to read three portions of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to share with you just some of the things that I'm noticing there uh, that perhaps can begin to answer the question, what does it mean for us to be spiritual? Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this, And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now this is, of course, the disciples. I just want to pause there for a moment. What has happened in this setting is that Jesus has been crucified. He's raised from the dead. That's the story of Easter. And then he spends 40 days with the disciples, walking with them, talking with them, eating with them, teaching them, essentially preparing them for what life will be like after he ascends into heaven, which that's depicted Jesus ascending up into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And then he tells the disciples to wait for a gift from God, he tells the disciples essentially to wait for the Spirit of God. And so what we have here is the disciples waiting in that upper room. Verse 2 says this, And suddenly from heaven there came like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. There's a lot going on in this passage already. It's just the first few verses of Acts chapter 2. But what we see depicted here is the story of how the Spirit of God comes to the people of God in an entirely new way, in a way that Jesus had promised the Spirit of God would come. And the way that that coming of the Spirit of God is depicted in this passage is with fire and with wind. It says again there in verse 3, and suddenly, or excuse me, verse 2, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house. And then again in verse 3, Divided among them like fire were tongues of fire that rested on each of them. And so this this activity of the Spirit of God is depicted in these very sort of powerful and concrete terms as images like a violent or powerful and rushing wind and images of fire that rest upon each of the disciples. The first thing that this makes me think of is it it makes me sort of conjure up these images of the presence of God with ancient Israel as they are wandering around in the wilderness in the book of Exodus. And you're probably familiar with this story. Of course, the, the Israelites, they're liberated from Egypt. Moses frees them from Egypt with God's powerful signs and wonders and then delivers them into the wilderness where, if you know the bigger story, they wander for 40 years in the wilderness because they've got issues. And while God is leading them around in the wilderness, the presence of God, very much like here in the book of Acts, is depicted as a pillar of fire at night and a cloud of smoke or a pillar of a cloud during the daytime. And so again, we see this this imagery that depicts God's presence in these elemental forms, fire and wind. And And this really shouldn't necessarily come as a surprise to us. 
Because God is often depicted in these ways in the Old Testament. God is depicted as acts of power through nature. And it seems to me that that's really communicating at least two things about the presence of God. It's communicating that God has power, first and foremost. We, we imagine the windstorm, it's called violent here in the English translation in my Bible, which is the New Revised Standard Version. That wind is strong, it's violent, it blows through the house in a way that probably makes a lot of noise, maybe shakes the doors, rattles the windows, that sort of thing. And then also it's depicted as fire. Fire, of course, we know is powerful, and we often think of fire as violent and dangerous, especially if you live here in California and we're entering into a season that we sometimes know of as fire season, and we imagine the incredible damage that fire can do. And so there's this sense, isn't there, in Acts chapter 2, in these first few passages, that the presence of God has power. And of course, like wind and like fire, that power isn't always dangerous, it doesn't always threaten us, but it's always something to be respected. It's that knowledge that this thing that we've come into contact with is bigger than us, that it is more powerful than us. We, we get that sense that we are smaller than what we are coming into contact with. And I think that's exactly what's being evoked in these passages at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. The second thing that I think that that fire and that wind really symbolize, really represent, is the agency of God. So not just the power of God, not just that God is powerful, bigger, more uh, capable than we are as humans, but also that God can't really be controlled or contained makes me think of Jesus in the Gospels when he says, the Spirit of God is a little bit like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going, but you can feel it. You can sense its presence. That is this idea of agency, that we cannot control God. And just like a powerful wind or just like a, a fire, we may be able to respect it. We may be able to benefit from it. We might even be able to use it in some sense to meet our needs. But at the end of the day, these are powers, these are forces that are beyond our control. And so God cannot be controlled or contained. But there is also this third thing that this brings to my mind. And it's this passage from Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, that's okay. I'm just going to read a short portion of this passage to you. Jeremiah, of course, is one of these Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah, in this passage, chapter 20, verse 9, says very powerfully this. He says, If I say, quote, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, then within me there is something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary holding it in, and I cannot. And this, I think, really beautifully captures sort of the prophetic moment that we see here in Acts chapter 2. Because what Jeremiah is doing for us in Jeremiah chapter 20 is, describing in a very poetic way exactly what it's like 
when we experience that fire of God or that power of God, Jeremiah describes that, that prophetic moment or that prophetic burden as a fire shut up in his bones, this, this thing, this feeling, this sensation, this impulse that he has is something, again, that he can't quite contain, that he can't quite control. It's, it's literally powerful inside of him. And he seems to be struggling to not speak it. He's struggling to not say it. He's struggling to not act upon this energy that's inside of him that's begging to get out. I think most people, if they were to describe for you a sense of when they had an encounter with God, that many people would describe it that way. Not always, of course. There are many different kinds of encounters with God that we see in Scripture and that we hear when we talk to each other. But a really common one is the sense that you have encountered God in a way that you can't quite explain, but the end result of it is that it's like a, a, an energy inside of you that has to get out. And I think that is exactly what we see happening here in Acts chapter 2. So I think that this passage from the book of uh, Jeremiah is actually really helpful for us to understand what's going on back in Acts chapter 2. So if we take that passage from Jeremiah, and we turn back to Acts chapter 2, I want to point out another portion of Acts chapter 2 to you. If you will skip ahead to verse 14, we're going to pick up the story again. Of course, we have this experience where the Spirit of God is poured out. The disciples experience the Spirit of God as, as a powerful wind and as fire that rests on them. And then one of the things that happens, of course, is that they are empowered to speak and the language of all of these different people groups who are there in Jerusalem at the time. There are all of these different ethnic groups, essentially, who are Jewish, who have come back to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And as they're in the vicinity of what has happened here with the disciples, they're hearing the good news of God spoken in their own language from wherever they came. And so, of course, this stirs a great deal of controversy. And there are people who accuse the disciples of being drunk. Otherwise, they couldn't do this. And then Peter stands up, verse 14 says this, but Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them and said, Men of Judea, all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Verse 17, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So in these verses, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17 from Acts chapter 2, what we have is Peter recognizing that what's happening here is very similar to what we read happening to the prophet Jeremiah. What's occurred is that the Spirit of God has been poured out like a burden, like a fire or like a wind, and that the disciples are experiencing it just like Jeremiah did, like a fire shut up in their bones. And 
The only thing that they can do is speak about the good news and the goodness and the righteousness and the peace of God. The very same thing is happening to the disciples that happened to the prophets of old. And this is, of course, Peter recognizes a fulfillment of what God has always wanted. Moses himself, the original prophet of Judaism, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29 says, I wish that all the people of God would prophesy. And the prophet Joel picks that up and predicts that there will come a time when the Spirit of God is given not just to special individual prophets, but that the Spirit of God is one day poured out and given and made available to all people so that all people can experience the goodness of this power of God within them to speak the good things of God and to act upon the good things of God for the world around them. And so there we have, I think, the first answer to our question, what does it mean to be spiritual? I think it means just this, that God has visited us, touched us, God has poured God's self out upon us in such a way that we are energized by this power inside of us to speak and to act on behalf of what is good and right and true for ourselves and for others. That's what it means to be spiritual, or at least that's one part of what it means to be spiritual. It doesn't necessarily mean that we act out in bizarre ways. It doesn't necessarily mean that we are religious in the sense that we engage in repetitive behaviors. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with coming to church on a regular basis. There's nothing wrong with singing the good news of God. Of course, that's good. There's nothing wrong with engaging in habitual spiritual practices. All of that is good to the extent that it puts us in a place where we can experience this sense of being touched by the presence of God so that we have that energy inside of us, that fire that is shut up in our bones to speak and to act for the good news that God has given. And what does that good news look like? Because, of course, you might say that all kinds of people have a, a kind of power or an energy within them to act out in all kinds of ways, but at the end of chapter 2 in the book of Acts, we see an amazing description of exactly what it looks like when the Spirit of God touches a group of people. Let's pick it up again in verse 43. If you look ahead, right at the end of Acts chapter 2, it says this, Awe came upon everyone, because many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple and broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And this, I think, depicts the outcome of a genuine spirituality, the outcome of when the Spirit of God has rested upon us, the outcome 
of when that Spirit of God has deposited itself in our bodies and is like a fire that we can no longer contain, what that leads to is an expression of community that is radically socially equitable. That the Spirit of God creates material good and change for the people of God who are in need. In this passage at the end of Acts chapter 2, we see a radical form of community where people who might once have been at enmity with each other, who might have been competing with each other for goods and services, who might have come from different ethnic groups or different cultures or who represent different genders, they, they might have been at odds with each other, but now, because of the Spirit of God, they are united and joined together for the common good of all in their community. And that is how we know that our spirituality is good. That's how we know that, the, that that energy inside of us, that fire, that wind inside of us is being directed by the authentic Spirit of God because it leads to a radically equitable change for those who are in need. I love the way that James Cone puts this. A theologian that I often quote in these, these teachings, he says, Without concrete signs of divine presence in the lives of the poor, the gospel simply becomes an opiate. James Cone, of course, is pointing out very helpfully that our spirituality is not so much about those esoteric things that we think or believe or or those abstract ideas about what might happen to us after we die, but rather the genuine, authentic gospel is a spirituality lived out for the good of ourselves and each other here and now, starting with those who have needs. That is the kind of spirituality that we try to encourage each other to here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. My questions to you for today are just this. How is your spiritual life? What burden is like a fire shut up in your bones? What is it that you feel is compelling you to speak and to act for the good of those in your community? And maybe most importantly, how is it that you are going to act on that? How is your spirituality driving you to make a difference in the material lives of the people in our community who need it most. Those are my questions for you today. I want to ask that you would, as usual, just close with me in a word of prayer as we finish our time of worship together. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity for us to come together again on YouTube and Facebook. We ask that you would really teach us what it means over the next several weeks to engage in a genuine spirituality that puts us into contact with your spirit and leads us into good things, not just for ourselves, but for our community as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, good morning again, everyone. Normally, I'm not up here twice, but for announcements today, we have a little something special, a little something new that we're introducing. So if you see there, in the right-hand corner of your screen is a little QR code. It looks like a barcode. And essentially what we're gonna be doing now from now on is we're gonna have this on the screen 
the entire time during the announcements and all you have to do is take out your phone, open up your camera app, point your camera at that QR code and a little thing is gonna pop up at the top of your phone where you can actually see these announcements as I'm talking about it. You're gonna see like kind of like a little app kind of thing come up on your screen and you can RSVP for all the events I'm talking about right as I'm talking about them. You can uh, give, you can uh, sign up for anything that's coming up all right there. So as you listen to these announcements, if anything piques your interest, you're like, oh, I wanna find out more, just pop out your phone, point it at that QR code, and all the information you need will be there. So our first announcement as always is if you're new, We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to get to know you. So go ahead and scan that QR code or visit OceansideSanctuary.org slash contact. Fill out a little information and we will be in touch with you. Next is our Justice Works team meeting is happening today, right after in-person church at 1230 PM, and that is happening at Oceanside Sanctuary. So that's not happening on Zoom, it's happening live in person. So if you wanna to come to that, we'd love to see you. Uh, if you wanna be involved in impacting local policy changes here in North County, we want you to be there. Lunch will be provided as well. Next, uh, Joey, our new music minister, he's putting together a band, a worship band, which is super exciting. I'm really pumped about that. And every Thursday, he's gonna have a rehearsal from 5.30 to 7. So basically, here's how it works. If you sing, if you play music, if you wanna be involved with the slides or the AV stuff on a Sunday morning, then come. It doesn't matter what your skill level is. If you have an interest, if you have a passion for it, come on a Thursday from 5.30 to 7. You're gonna get looped into the culture there that we're building, the new worship team, and eventually you'll be a part of the band up there on stage every Sunday. Next up is our Roots class, which is coming up uh, on Wednesday, June 9th. It's happening three Wednesdays in a row, so June 9th, the 16th, and the 23rd, starting at 6.30 p.m. And this is a chance, especially if you're new, to get to know more about us, what we value, what we practice here, uh, all the good things that we're doing here, you'll get to find out more. So join us for that. It's in person and on Zoom starting June 9th at 6.30 p.m. And lastly, we are a 501c3 nonprofit and we rely on the donations and gifts from people just like you. So. If you can, if you're able, if you believe in what we're doing, then we encourage you to give a gift today. Again, you can go to OceansideSanctuary.org give or scan the QR code for this announcement and for all the other announcements you heard today. So, so good seeing you all here online. It's so good to have seen a lot of you in person as well. And I can't wait to see you all more and very soon. All right, everyone, peace and blessings. Much love. Have a beautiful week.